Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 529. Releasing May 19 in theatres across the US is Moon Garden, a horror fantasy in which a comatose five-year-old girl journeys through an industrial fantasy world to find her way back to consciousness. Shot on a 35mm camera and created with handcrafted practical effects, Moon Garden is a visual marvel with a pulsating heart at its core. A film where fantasy, reality, and memory converge to create a world of dreams and nightmares and emotions, both rich and vibrant. And joining me now to talk about Moon Garden is the film's director and writer, Mr. Ryan Stephen Harris. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. A pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. What a wonderful description you gave. I know. Well, what a one, what a wonderful movie. I, I watched it a few days ago, and um, it's a movie that's really stuck with me. And I just doing research into the film and some interviews that you did before, you, you spoke about how the kind of the whole kind of genesis of the film is like you really wanted to explore kind of like the, the dream logic of this fantasy world. 
Um, it was really interesting to me. What 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 is it about that environment, that kind of fantasy world environment, and a whole dream logic behind it that really speaks to you as a storyteller and filmmaker? What was it about that world, that environment, that really kind of gets your creative kind of juices flowing? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you ask that. I mean, like I'm always trying to bring an element um, of a. I don't know. I think it speaks to something deep. Uh, inside at least me, you know, and it gets at something uh, somewhat spiritual and and like that well of of creativity or consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Um, trying to explore explore that. Uh, I feel like cinema, at least, is a really good way to do that because um, mm. you can use these kind of like um, brainstem images or uh, things that kind of. Um, uh might mean different things for different people and without even saying any dialogue there's very little dialogue in moon garden um uh you can tether things together just with uh images and the atmosphere and the uh vibe which is um something a form of cinema that i really gravitate towards um the first draft of moon garden had no dialogue in it uh, I, it had one line. It had one line of dialogue in the whole thing. It was, it was, you know, um, 60 pages long. And, uh, and I, I, I'm always trying to actually thin out, um, at least my scripts. It's just, you know, how I work with, with as, as, as little dialogue and, and with the dialogue being as little of importance to the narrative as possible. Um, so that the the film can be told very uh, straightforward with um, with images and visuals uh, in a in a language that I think cinema is is really uh, built for. But um, yeah, without sounding too uh, you know too art with a capital A, that is one of my um, that is something that I like uh, I'm really trying to infuse in my own in my own films so yeah but uh hopefully that answered the question without going too off the road but no no not at all it's, it's really actually right on on track actually and mm-hmm. you know what's something another thing that i've heard you say is like you kind of you know kind of like if you could kind of describe kind of like the fantasy world that you're looking at you kind of described it as an industrial alice in wonderland and um as soon as you do that like the images converge in your head and like in, in, in exactly what kind of uh shows up in the movie i'm curious though when it comes to fantasy filmmaking there's so many different places you can go to did you mess with different concepts or different kind of worlds before um before going with the industrial alice in wonderland wonderland concept was that something that you knew that this store that was the playground that you were going to have this uh film um uh, play out on so i've 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 I use that as just like a quick term because, yeah, it just paints a quick picture in people's mind. Also a twisted Alice in Wonderland, an industrial Alice in Wonderland. Um, I always, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people would suggest certain things and some things are right for the film and some things aren't. And I think you just have to follow the feeling that you're going for constantly. So um I worked closely with a collaborate, uh, a producing partner, collaborator, and a talented filmmaker John Elfers. He was a producer on the film, and we share a lot of the same sensibility. Um, I had uh, production design consultants, um, Delaray Wagner. My main thing was I wanted it all to be kind of like this broken machinery, everything built out of um, things that were repurposed. I think a big theme in the movie is that broken things can can fix themselves. And so everything should feel like it's um, uh, been busted, broken apart. 
but has then been fixed and retooled and built on top of. Um, and so, uh, and also like it was almost excavated from the earth. And uh, I think just, art, you know, again, artistically, I just really like that kind of tactile thing where um, a lot of texture, a lot of grit and, uh, you know, no, nothing like super clean lines or anything like that. Um, we also bathed the thing in very specific colors, like uh, so um, keeping away from certain things, but then going all in on like the, the blue moon cast uh, and then hitting it with like um, a bunch of like deep, deep red and emerald. And um, but yeah, there were things that felt right for the movie. And usually you just know them instantaneously. And then there are things where you're like this doesn't work at all and you don't even consider it. And so I think it's just following your own uh, internal compass. Um, people talk a lot about like a certain um, influences. And uh, I always liked um, Jean Svankmeyer and, uh, you know, the Brothers Coy always had this kind of tactile darkness to it, which I really loved. So there was a lot of um, influence from like stop motion. People talk about Del Toro, but I do think that's just in the genre. And I, mm. I have not, I love his films, but, um, you know, we were never like, oh, like in Pan's Labyrinth or something. Um, for the big rhino sequence, we did refer to like Terry Gilliam, you know, how, how, you know, how, because he used a lot of practical shooting to make certain things look enormous, like in Baron Munchausen. And um, so, uh it was, we usually started like, how can we shoot it practically and something real and then use camera tricks to, 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 to get there. And so we borrowed from a lot of kind of old school film magicians, like, um, uh, you know, back in the old days of, of practical effects. And often, even when we had to do something simple, like a POV through a telescope, um, you know, everybody was telling me, oh, well, you just do it in After Effects. It's super easy. And yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I'm in, in and out of After Effects all the time or Nuke. And, but it was important to me that we shoot it like, well, why don't we just actually set up an old format viewfinder, shoot through it, project our image on a big 4K television and shoot through a window with rain on it. So we just built the After Effects project in reality with the layers in front of the camera. And so um, it was all those kinds of things in terms of achieving what was on what was on the page, which looked and read pretty ambitious to a lot of people. But um, we knew we could we knew we could do it if we just focused on one thing at a time and just try to shoot everything um, and then comp it together. Very simple comps. So, yeah. A note that I had um, when I was watching the film was um, I wrote down refreshingly old school. Um, it kind of harkened me back to a lot of films that I watched when I was a kid. Um, I remember being in the cinemas watching, you know, Dark Crystal and Never Ending Story and Labyrinth and things like that, those kind of films. And a lot of what you're talking about is like a, a reason why a lot of things come up and also some of the concepts as well in the film. But also something that's really uh, interesting to me is the shooting on a 35mm print. But not only that, the film that you guys found, you and John, was like you dug that out out of some basement somewhere, didn't you? And um, and you're like, we're not, we're, this is what we're going to use. We want the grittiness. We want this. It's like... I think what you said was you wanted to be kind of like like someone found a long lost film from like the, the 80s or something and they, and they flicked it on and you're watching it. 
Um, and not only that, you guys own your own 35 millimeters cameras as well, which is amazing, quite amazing too. That whole that whole thing of like shooting on 35 mils, is that something that you've experimented before when you did the short um concept for um uh, for this movie? Um, was that something that you shot on 35 as well? And does it take some time really to kind of you know, after so long editing so many films, I mean, you edited movies like Midway and 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 so many other movies as well. When in, in, I'm sure a lot of that is kind of like digital stuff and and done on and will be shown on digital projection. Is it kind of do you have to kind of like relearn certain things to kind of go back and, and kind of learn how to shoot and and film um, and create uh, that experience on set at the 35 millimeter experience? So. Um... When I when I grew up, my my mom had a dark room, and um, and so like I kind of you know would always go down there into the basement. There'd be this red light bleeding out of the window, um, and or bleeding out of the doorway, and uh, then what would come out would be these like beautiful organic things, you know. So I always kind of grew up around film, film cameras. And um, I met, uh, yeah, my producing partner, John Elfers in film school at USC. And uh, we were shooting on 16 millimeter, super 16, 35. We did, um, everything was shot on film. We were the last class through USC, I believe, to do that. So uh, John and I, it's always been important for us to shoot on 35 millimeter. Um, after I got out of film school, the whole digital revolution with the red came on and um, I shot movies like, you know, immediately on the red and uh, it lost a little magic to me. Um, the, the magic of the mystery of cinematography and um, how you put things in front of the lens, how you put, you know, things behind the lens, how you fog things out, how, you know, um, use Vaseline to blur the edges, you know, the whole kind of process of uh, doing things real. So um, it was never a question that we were going to shoot on 35 millimeter. That was always the plan. Um, John had just bought a pair of new cameras and we decided to shoot a uh, proof of concept um, for this larger picture that I was hoping to do this industrial Alice in Wonderland. Um, we ended, I mean, we ended up shooting uh, just a couple of days with the uh, actress Angelica Ujoa, who plays the mud witch in Moon Garden. And yeah, the footage came out uh, beautifully. We used, um, we used a film stock that we were also testing. This was a film stock that we had acquired uh, months beforehand. Um, it was a batch of film, 100,000 feet of film that was found in um, Omaha, Nebraska, in this guy's basement. He had been keeping it, stockpiling it. He had worked on TV. It was all these shows we had never heard of. Um, but it was just this massive treasure trove of old, old film stocks. There was a ton of slower film stock, 5212, or uh, the, the 100T, the old Kodak. And um, so we went, we got it snip tested over at Photochem. And what happens over time, I might have said this other places, but what happens over time is the blue layer on top of the film slowly exposes over time. That's the mm. first layer. So it bleeds into the image. So all the blue bleeds in. So you shoot the footage, you get it processed, and you have this midnight blue putrefying your blacks. 
So then using contemporary coloring software, you take that, you yank it back into the, the, the spectrum that it should be in, you clean your blacks, and then you end up with this hyper grain, super rich um, uh, image that's, that's full of uh, film anomalies and um, tons of uh, uh, certain um, dirt aspects, things that are happening that wouldn't happen if you were just to shoot it normally. So uh, hyper, hyper color saturation, which is fantastic. And so um, with that proof of concept short, we just shot, it was, again, just the mud witch doing her stop motion um, dance inside that big crag. We were able to confirm that this was a usable batch of film stock. And I just fell in love with the look so much. I mean, we shot certain portions on newer film stock. Uh, we got batches of film from um, Phantom Thread, and I just like i don't know it just felt too clean mm. and it just felt like i had seen it before and um and i feel like a lot of things nowadays just talking to the cinematography it does seem like you know a lot of stuff feels like it's photographed almost by a computer or something it's so clean and it's so like uh perfect it doesn't even feel like there's a hand behind it so i think that kind of plays to the old school um to the old school vibe of the of the movie um, in terms of the tone. And I couldn't agree with you more. I remember being a young kid and seeing certain scenes in movies that felt like I shouldn't have seen yeah. or seemed like they were like on the brink of something that was just like, well, that was now it's scarred in my brain forever. I mean, um, I talked a lot about uh, scenes from um, like that, that headless uh, princess scene in, in return to Oz Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture, but uh -huh. um, yeah. it, it, it didn't do well, apparently, because uh, no, it was a little too <laughs> it was too dark. But yeah. I loved it. I was like, yeah. it felt like yeah. something that was just too like that was just on the cusp. It was just too much. And so to me, I always like kind of um, uh, veered towards that kind of stuff when I was uh, when I was growing up for whatever reason. And um, yeah, there's a. The teeth character in Moon Garden, the chattering teeth that follows him around, uh, that character was actually called um, was actually called Bunyip for the longest time, which is a character named after this one sequence in this weird Australian animated movie, uh, Dot and the Kangaroo, yeah. which um, which oh you probably know of it. Yeah, there's yeah. this whole Bunyip sequence um, that like terrified me when I was a kid, and I just loved the idea that it was this thing that crawled out of a sewer. And, um, and it obviously took on its own incantation, its own, its own thing. I mean, it ended up being these, this, this pair of chattering teeth in this dark void, but the original idea was something that was there to haunt this, this child. And so um, anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of where at least the vibe stemmed from. So, yeah. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. TeePublic is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you will love. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon, the world's leading online store Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. 
Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. So you have your sets, you have your 35 millimeter cameras, and supposedly the lenses of some of these cameras look like big kind of cannons, and and you have everything going on in the middle of these rocks. Um, Haven Lee Harris, your your daughter, so terrific in this movie. I got to say, how her, her portrayal of Emma just fantastic in this movie. You know, I sp- I've spoken to filmmakers before who's worked with kids and. You know, a lot of times they say working with kids is great because what is acting but the ultimate game of pretend, the ultimate game of make-believe, right? And and children have still have that thing in them where they can do that just like on a flick of a dime, you know, and they could just – got two kids myself, so I see it every day, right? Um, <laughs> so when she's on set and, and you're filming with her, um, what's that like for yourself? Because not only are you kind of like the filmmaker, but you're a parent as well. Um, I mean – it's. Uh, I'm sure that in in some in some ways, you know, uh, there's a kind of like a, a kind of like a clash sometimes will be between the the filmmaker brain and the parent brain. I don't know whether they collide at sometimes. I mean, I know for myself, trying. I work from home. I have my office here. When my kids walk into my office and I try to write, it doesn't feel <laughs> that well, right? Um, but uh, but what was it like for you as as a father to be um, directing uh, your um, your daughter um, who? Like I said, it's just absolutely terrific in this movie. I mean, just the the natural emotions that she kind of brings to to the to it does not seem in any way um, uh, force or coerce. It just feels like she's part of the fantasy land itself. And I think it's just a terrific job by her. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't be more grateful to work with my daughter in the film. I mean, um, on other so on other movies, you know, you just vanish. And you're just gone and you're gone for 10 to 16 hours a day, you know? And so for me to kind of bring her into it and, you know, she would, she would come like on the weekends or, 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 or sometimes after school and we would have built this thing for her, you know, like, Oh, today you get to walk, you get to crawl through this, this this uh this big cave you know that's soaked in mucus and it's disgusting and you're slopping around in it and um oh and today we built you this bungee rig that you get to pull the (laughs) the the nostril hair on and john's gonna bounce you around and um it was just uh like you said we tried to build as much stuff for her just to react to so that she could just come in and be natural. I actually felt like I learned a lot about directing from working with her. The idea of keeping it super simple and let's just create an environment where you're reacting naturally and we try to get to something real. Um, I would always tell her we're playing make-believe, but we're going to try to make make it real. And um, so like when she had to get somewhere really deep, she was able to just slide into that. And I feel super, super fortunate because I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that if we were to have cast, you know, if we were to have done a wide casting call with thousands of actresses, I don't know if we would have been able to land on somebody so, and obviously I'm her dad, but I just feel like she's so natural and she has such a big heart 
that um, there are scenes where, yeah, it's just impossible not to like break down and and, mm. and go on this journey with her. Um, she was so, and, and she was so warm and inviting to everybody on set. Um, the hardest stuff that she had, a, the, the stuff she had the biggest problem with, and this again, just leads to the fact that, you know, kids do play pretend is um, the stuff where she just had to like lie there in the hospital bed as people were talking around her. And so um, like the parents would be saying stuff and she just has to lie there with her eyes closed. And um, that, that was the hardest stuff for her because she would often, you know, in the middle of takes, just be like, ah, it like sounds too real. And so after a while in the wide shots, we would actually start to just pantomime the scene, then rap Haven and then go in for the actual scene with the coverage with the parents. We tried like earplugs. We tried all these things, you know, and um, that was actually the the trickiest stuff. The stuff where she had to do physical stuff. She's a tremendous athlete. And um, yeah, she's like now on like, you know, club soccer teams and doing drama club and all kinds of things. And uh, but that kind of stuff, I knew that um, she would just leap into it. We would often have certain sequences broken down through montage. And then in the in the in the wide, she would just like hop up on the well and get in the bucket, and then we would, and then we would cut, and we would just have it. So there were um, there were those kinds of nice surprises. But again, I do feel so so fortunate that um, that I was able to work with her because we were we were able to kind of share this experience rather than me like doing doing it solo or something. Now it's this kind of monument. The whole movie to me is about family. And a family coming together, um, and so it's uh, in a lot of ways it kind of mirrors mirrors reality, which is uh, which um, which was pretty cathartic, also. So yeah, as a parent, I always admire the energetic creativity that children have. My youngest son Gabriel, yeah. he's seven. He wants <laughs> to be a comic book writer when he gets older, and all he does is draw and make comic book stories. We have scrapbooks. I'm telling you, Ryan, I'll buy him three or, three or four scrap, scrapbooks, like nine, six pages, and he will fill up the whole thing in a week with stories, oh. and he'll read me the stories, and like, he just it's great. And I know when you were a kid, right, that was something that you loved doing, right? You loved to draw all the time and make your own stories. Some advice yeah. to me, if you could, please. I want to <laughs> really, I want to really, um, like, I don't want to push him into a career, but I, will, I always say to him, whatever you want to do, I'll back you. What, if you, if you want to do that, I will help you all the way. What's the best way do you think that kids can really flourish into their, into really finding their talents? Is it just a thing of just letting them go and do it and finding their own way? Or is it something that we as parents can do that can kind of, you know, kind of nudge them in, in certain directions? I'm, I'm not really sure because I'm, I'm new to the parenting game by like maybe 10 years. <laughs> <or so. laughs> yeah, well, I, like you said, I used to draw all the time when I was growing up. It was my thing. I loved it. And and it did. It, it bled into the whole uh visual storytelling. I mean, it's all just storytelling, right? So yeah. Mm -hmm. So the drawings became, yeah, I mean, I was a huge comic book fan, did graphic novels and, and yeah. And then that led into like storyboarding for movies and photographs and, and yeah. So the arts are all just planets orbiting the same sun, you know? And so fostering any kind of creativity, I always think of like drawing or whatever is just a tool. And um, you're just, whatever the idea is, you're just trying to get to it in the best way possible. So, um, but, uh, cultivating a child's talent, I think is, um, yeah, is, is, 
it's almost like just putting them on the right path and then getting out of the way, you know? Yeah. Um, and then especially like uh, we, we, so she's, she's an actress, but she's also in sports. And this is also something that's really good. Like, I think, I feel like a ton of things give a lot of life lessons. So if you don't mind like a parenting lesson, like a parenting tip, I think, you know, so like with sports, I've noticed sometimes there'll be moments where, you know, uh, she'll like um, get really nervous or she'll collapse in on herself. And that happens often with um, theater or drama or something, no matter how um, extroverted a child is, they're going to have moments where they're afraid or they have fear or, 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 or nervous energy or whatever. And um and like we have friend groups, you know, and some parents are like, oh, well, if you blah, 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 then just, you know, we don't have to do that or something. And so to me, it's always been important that if she's afraid that she knows that it's OK to be afraid and that it's OK to feel these certain ways. And the important thing is that you still do it yeah. because there's going to be a, so many times in life where you're afraid or you're nervous or whatever, and you have to be able to rise to meet that. And, um, and so that's one thing that we really try to instill with her. Um, cause to me, that's a real, that's what bravery is. It's not, not being afraid. So, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of to me is actually kind of a, a little bit of a poisonous statement. It just leads to a certain kind of mindset to me. So, um, we try to instill that with her, that if, that it's okay to, 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 but as long as she's able to confront that, um, and overcome it, then I feel like they can start to build. And then that nervous energy actually starts to be a good thing. It sharpens you. Um, it sharpens you up. You know that something's important and that you really have to perform or do well. And so um, that would be that would be my two cents about at least trying to help a child flourish. But um, in Haven's case, she's, she's certainly just a, a natural performer. And it really helps also. She's so photogenic, you know, mm. um, which is another. Uh, originally, when I shot with Haven, we were just doing a little proof of concept. That short that I was telling you about, it was just a proof of concepts and, it, and there was no dialogue in it. So we just had Haven go through this, this, this dark forest and meet this figure. And it wasn't until after I saw her on camera and just how gracefully she was and, and how, how, how eager she was to do it, to jump in and, and, and really just the, the, the energy that she brought to the set that I was like, well, maybe we could do it, like expand this into the full feature with her. So, um, but uh, yeah, again, I just feel yeah very blessed that, uh, that I was able to do that with her. Um, also, my wife was involved in it. I mean, it was a whole kind of family and friend affair, like most kind of labors of love are, but I do feel like that kind of has made it this little special thing. So, yeah. Um, did you have any parents? So I know you had like screenings at different film festivals and such last year. Um, did you have any parents talk to you about the parent characters in the movie? Because when I watch the characters, I can really relate to some of the things that are going on there. The dad with the deadlines and everything. I mean, I, I'm riding all the time. I've got deadlines, you know, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of times. And there was actually a time several years back where I almost quit doing what I'm doing now because my first son was born. I felt incredibly guilty leaving the house all the time to go to screenings yeah. and go to interviews and all that stuff. And I was just like, 
is this the right kind of precedent I'm kind of setting here, you know? Um, so I yeah. can kind of understand that and the stresses and everything that comes from that. How do you, did, how do your parents come up to you talk about those characters? Because I think they're really, they're important to you, everything that's going on because everything that's happening within the child's head is related to the things that she sees her parents doing around her. Um, even from down to the teeth monster, like uh, all that little, little um, uh, uh, story that the father says of um, about something about um, his grandfather's teeth rattling around the house. You know, like yeah, yeah. Like she that. keeps I'm hearing like, scratching in the walls, which the yeah. dad thinks is a rodent, but then he plays yeah. it like, oh, maybe it's grandfather's teeth. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, they absorb that stuff, man. They really do. So, like, do, yeah. you, do parents talk to you about this stuff as well, like uh, uh, about those characters? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was important for me for the the parents to feel um, for for there not to be a clear villain. Um, for them not to just be like, oh, okay, the dad's a bad guy, and the, like, which I feel like often people will go on that journey. Um, it's interesting because often uh, people that aren't parents—I don't know how to put—people that aren't parents often will come up to me and be like, oh, I wondered what the problem was with the parents. I'm wondering yeah. like what issues were like i didn't i didn't get the backstory of the problems and to me that really doesn't like they're firing just in two different directions and they're not getting the one isn't giving what the other's needing and the other isn't getting um uh what what they need either and so the dad feels super unappreciated he's working his ass off and he and the and the mother feels super unloved, like just totally abandoned. And so, um, to me, the, that's the main issue. Um, all the other stuff is is the secondary stuff that's on top. Um, I always thought of the mom as the thematic kind of heart of the movie, yeah. um, where she's she yearns for 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 the freedom of youth and being and being young again and being able to run free and the the romance of youth and. And maybe she's too young to be, she was too young to be a mom, you know, maybe yeah. that's how she kind of feels. She still loves her daughter, but it, you know, maybe she's still seeking for her, this new identity that she hasn't been able to find. And so to me, she's kind of, she, that's like the root of her sort of depression. And, um, and so she just lashes out at everything. And, uh, and the dad, meanwhile, is trying to hold, hold the family together, obviously with all of the responsibilities of actual life. But I think he started to resent her. And um, and so it's this complex web. And so I, I I always felt like the parents, I just wanted them to feel like somewhat real people um, so that there wasn't a clear villain. Uh, it's interesting. All of the all of the the dads often side with the mom and all of the moms often side with the dad, oh, interesting. Like, uh, which which is curious. I know like a lot of. Uh, like a lot of moms will come up to me and be like, gosh, the mom just needs to like get her shit together and get up and like do something. Mm -hmm. And then the dads will be like, God, the dad was such an aggressive dick. And I'm like, okay, those are, uh, so it's interesting uh, the sides that people take on, but I think that mostly the main thing is that it's, um, that it's muddled, um, which, which I always, I was like, there's clear uh, tension there. Um, and uh, and I I came from a very loving supportive family, but every family has those nights where shit spirals out of control and things right. will happen, and you know the, the house is just this torrent of volatile energy. And so, um, uh, but yeah, that's uh, you know the seed of the idea was just one of those nights that just went too far, and um, and that's what kind of spurs the whole thing. Um, 
and it's uh and to me the the whole movie is about the the little girl bringing the family back together which is this 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 simple kind of magical way that she can that she sees the world and so um but but yeah that's 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 great that you felt that way cuz um that was something that uh, I was really trying to strive for was not have there be a clear villain like maybe you think the dad might be this uh like there might be something going on at the beginning, you know, there are tremors of this thing, but then you realize, oh, okay, maybe it's just the mom breaking down and, um, and, and then hopefully coming together with this tragedy at the, near the end. So, yeah. Well, I was, I was incredibly empathetic to both, um, for both the mom and the dad. And I, I, yeah. I think that's, what's really great about the, this movie because sometimes you watch films that like maybe will delve down to kind of like this fantasy kind of thing, but they miss the heart sometimes of, of what's happening. And, and what this film is so great about Moon Garden is that that heart is there. It's pulsating. It's right in the middle of it, you know? And, and I think that's just what makes one of the many things that makes this film so remarkable. And for everyone listening out there, May 19 in theaters in the U S. So from what I understand, Ryan started in New York city, May 19 and going to LA, California, May 20. Is that correct? Yeah, we're we're at we're at the IFC Center May nineteenth, Friday May nineteenth, and then the following week May twenty sixth, we're in downtown LA at the Alamo Draft House. And what's so great is I know those early screenings are all on thirty five millimeter, and so um, yeah, I'm just super excited to uh, to get it up there on celluloid, um, and uh, yeah, just. Uh, just have the movie presented in the way that's that's you know it was meant to be seen yeah so and i, I urge um, everyone who's listening if you're in those cities or near those cities we can get to them watch this film in the cinema make sure you buy a ticket and you watch it we have way it's meant to be seen in a place where it should be seen because more um, movies are seen like this and more filmmakers like ryan can go out there and make movies that um, we need to see we need more movies like this labors of love that are made from the heart for the heart. And I just absolutely adore this film, Ryan. So everyone out there listening, Moon Garden, watch it uh, as soon as you can. And um, Ryan, thank you so very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It really has. And when the next, uh, when uh, when in the the future, if anything else comes out, please let me know. I'd love to talk again. Certainly, certainly. 